Bibles. Make sure you have your children's bulletin there. You, you don't have your own special translation, but we've got a different translation in there for you. You can use. And uh, you can't miss it. It's nice and pink. And for the rest of you, you can open up your apps or your Bibles, whatever you're going to use, the bulletin, and turn, turn to Jonah chapter 1. And before we go, <clears throat> excuse me, to God's Word, let's go together to Him in prayer. Now, gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, it is our joy to come before You this morning to rejoice that Your love can never fail, that our souls truly are fully satisfied in You when we rest in You. Father, as we come now to feed on Your Word, we ask that You would give us truth. Speak to our hearts. Show us areas of growth. Show us areas where we need to repent. Make us more like Christ, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my second year in seminary, Nikki and I had an invitation to go out to Colorado. We were in uh, Jackson, Mississippi. And so we drove from Jackson, Mississippi to Colorado Springs. We went by to see our parents in Memphis first. And so we went this northern route across Kansas to go to Colorado. And for the first time, I got onto the Kansas Turnpike. Now, going to college in Texas, we'd been on the tollway there in the middle of Dallas. But I'd never been on a full length, very long. We were on the Kansas Turnpike for hours. I had never been on a toll road that long before. And I was amazed at how smooth, how black the pavement was. I mean, this was one of the nicest roads I'd ever been on. I remember commenting to Nikki about how this road is so nice. It's so smooth. This is an amazing road. And and she goes, well, you know, that's what happens when you've you got to pay for it. Right afterwards, they, they give you a good product. And that really is sort of, from a worldly perspective, what we in the PCA do to fund our missionaries. There's not some big pool of money that we anonymously give to that then funds missionaries just like our taxes, we know, pay for roads. No, there's, there's a direct connection there. And so when there's a direct connection, kind of like with the tollway, you know, it's really hard to pay a toll if you just went over a pot-marked, really rough road. Like, why am I paying for this? But if it's nice and smooth, a good product, there's a connection there. And so, too, the way missionaries are funded in the PCA, you know, it's biblical, that's primary. But practically speaking, it's a great way to give us a direct connection to these missionaries. And so when we talk about missionaries, when we talk about funding, you're going to hear words like faith promise. You're going to hear words like missions giving. And so I want to do a little bit of vocabulary before we jump in today. So tithe. This is what you give to the local church as part of your worship, and the church uses that for ministry. Faith promise is what you give above the tithe that the church uses specifically and only for funding missions locally, regionally, and around the world. And I want to also kind of just clarify one quick thing. You know, when it comes to the way we do sermons in the Presbyterian church, we believe that the text itself tells us what the topic is. And so week by week we'll tell you we're preaching on this little passage. And as John Mark or myself, as we study the passage, the topic arises from the passage. The Scriptures set the agenda. But there are times when it's appropriate when we come with a topic 
and we go to the Scripture for wisdom on that topic. But because we are setting the agenda, it's a little different. We're not going to be digging in and opening up and trying to figure out what the text says. It's more, how is this topic reinforced by Scripture? So that's what we're going to be doing today. I want to own that, that we're going to be talking about the topic of missions and the topic of faith promise today, using the book of Jonah to kind of apply it to the real world. And here's why this is important that we do this. Because God is calling most of us in the room to support missions. And I'm pretty sure He's calling some of us in the room to missions. So, using again the first part of Jonah chapter 1 and most of chapter 4, we're going to look at our response and our reaction to God's call to mission. So the first thing I want to look at is rejecting the call. So if you would, let's look together at Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. This is God's Word. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us, and we may not perish. This is God's Word. We'll stop right there for now. So I love how this text begins with God coming to Jonah and saying, look, cry out against Nineveh because their evil is great before me. And what we typically think, especially if you're not familiar with the Jonah story with the Old Testament in general, what we typically think is God's coming to Jonah and God's saying, go and get them. Tell them how evil they are. Right? And, and, and poor little Jonah, he's just so scared to go to that big old city. See, and neither of those things are true. As we're going to get to in a second, Jonah himself actually tells us in chapter 4, verse 2, exactly why he didn't go. Look at what he says here. He says this. He says, No, Lord, is this not exactly what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And he goes on to have a temper tantrum. He didn't want Nineveh to know grace. He didn't want the Ninevites shown mercy and grace. They were Israel's enemy. They were brutal. They were hated. He could not bring himself to be God's instrument of mercy to the city that we call Mosul, Iraq today. And how many of us are anxious to go to? Let's go to Mosul right now. See, but mercy is actually the nature of the one true God. He's not repulsed by Nineveh. He's not longing to destroy it. See, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, you probably assume that God is mean. God's nasty. 
God's quick to judge. But that's not true. What's going on here is completely different, but we only have a small slice, and so we miss, miss it. You know, many of you know that Nikki and I, uh, we, we're, we're homeschoolers, and we're involved in a homeschool program called Classical Conversations. We meet on Wednesdays. We actually teach at it, and it, it meets in a church in downtown Columbia. And Nikki is the main teacher for 10th graders. I teach a couple classes for them, but I'm mainly there to help herd the other members of the Sawyer's herd because there's a lot of them about, you know. So anyway, um, during recess one day, Shaylee's in class, Joseph's out here playing at the 11-year-old. I'm, I'm watching the 6-year-old, I'm watching the 4-year-old, I'm watching the 1-year-old, or 2-year-old now. So we're, we're playing, and I see out of the corner of my eye, I watch the 4-year-old, Isla, run, and it's a long parking lot. they got ropes at each end, and at the rope on this end is a little hill, and then there's a major busy street. And she's playing with the ball, and I watch the ball roll, and I double-check Emma, Joseph, or Emma Benjamin, okay, and I see the ball roll past the little rope barrier. And I see Isla stand at the rope barrier and stop. And she's like 30 yards away at this point. And so I'm just thinking, okay, please make a good decision, make a good decision. And she doesn't, she ducks under the rope and starts to go after the ball. And so she's 30 yards away. So I do the only thing I can do. I muster up my best father authoritative voice and I go, Isla, stop. And every single mom and every single other child on the parking lot stopped and looked at me. And Isla looks at me and I just went, and she comes running back and now, if you didn't know me, and you hear, all, all you know is loud screaming yell, instant obedience, he must be really harsh and mean. They're scared of him. In fact, I've got little kids at CC who even this week see me, and they're like, it's that guy, right? You have a, that's the picture you have. You'd have a different picture if you saw me wrestling around the floor with her and playing dolls and dress up, right? Different picture. What you saw there was, it seems harsh, but it's a father warning a child before major danger happens. Warning them so they don't get hurt. And that's actually what the Hebrew text shows us is what's happening in Nineveh. It is absolutely not gang. Man, God's not going, they're so bad, they stink. Jonah, go tell them how bad they are. Jonah would have been all over that mission. He'd be like, yes, let's do this. Instead, I want, I want to give you a different or an alternate translation of verse 2 here. Here's what he actually says literally in the Hebrew. He says, their distress has come to my attention. So go and warn them about it. See, don't go yell at them for being so bad. He's telling them, look, God, then and today, calls his people to proclaim to sinners freedom from bondage to warn people before sin destroys what they could have been. That's missions. Take the message of peace and reconciliation to a world full of people ruining themselves. And our faith promise supports that activity all across the world. You know, as I have conversations with you and as I hear you talk, you know, many of us in the room, we, we lament the state of our country. We lament the state of many nations in the world. We worry about what kind of future our children are going to have. But God has provided an answer to the world's problems. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to the world's needs. Now, do you believe that? Or did you kind of just cringe a bit right there? Perhaps even were a little wee bit embarrassed at your pastor's naivety for saying that. See, Jonah actually believed that God's grace is the answer to the world's problems, which is why he ran away. 
He didn't want them Arabs in Mosul to repent and believe. Jonah wanted the warrior God to come and bring justice to the Ninevites, not bring mercy. Jonah, if you'll allow me, is basically what the media assumes most Trump supporters must be like. Nineveh is a threat to Israel's national security, so don't talk about repentance. Build a wall. In fact, it's ten feet taller now. See, Jonah put his allegiance to his country, his allegiance to his race, his own fear above the call of God to be a missionary. Now, I am not saying that if you don't support missions and faith promise because you're a racist, okay, that is not what this text is saying either. Instead, looking candidly at this candid picture of Jonah, we have to ask, what is it that we love so much which keeps us from loving other people enough to help share God's message? Or maybe it's even deeper than that. Maybe we don't actually believe our own message. Maybe we don't really believe the gospel itself. I mean, we haven't seen how powerful it is in a long time, and so we underestimate its power to bring about real change, and so we don't really see the need to support gospel work. See, but the gospel is powerful to change. And that's missions, applying the power of Christ to change a people and a culture for the better. Missions is actively doing our part out of love for God and love for others to spread the good news of Christ. We do that with our financial support of missions to take it to other lands and to take it and do it with our own lives right here. Christians in the room, we all have a call to missions. God has a burden for the lost. And His plan for the salvation of the nations is the church. Let me say that again. God's plan for the salvation of the world is the church. Do we hear that call? Do we submit to that call? Or are we so caught up in our own lives that our focus is on other things? See, here's the test. Let's try this, a little mental activity here. When you think about the world, you know, the vast numbers of unredeemed sinners out there who do not know God, like, let's say, I don't know, how about a billion communists in China? How about another billion Hindus in India? How about another billion Muslims worldwide? Or how about our own country? You know, there those places that we assume are kind of more evil than other places. I don't know, like, this is, take a guess, Portland, Oregon, San Francisco, most of the Northeast, you know, those places where liberals ruin America, those places. When you think about those places, is your heart filled with disdain or even anger? Like Jonah looked at Nineveh? Or like Jesus, do we look upon sinners as lost sheep, hopeless, helpless without a shepherd? See, Jonah sure didn't look with compassion. I'm not sure how well you know your geography of the ancient world, but here's Palestine 
You go across the Mediterranean, you go around the boot of, of Italy, you go across the coast, and you get to what we call Spain today, and right there on the coast of Spain is a city called Tarshish. So Palestine, all the way across the Med to Tarshish, and they didn't do ships like just sailed straight line. They, they, they hopped from, from coast to coast. They didn't do big overnight trips. They, didn't, they, they stayed within sight of the coastline. Archaeologists and historians tell us that this journey would have taken a year. I don't know last time any of you went on a cruise, but think about how much a year-long cruise would cost. It's a huge sum of money. Jonah basically cashed in his retirement account to run from God's call. He sacrificed financially to avoid taking the gospel to a place he didn't like. I wonder if those of us in the room who are reluctant to do a faith promise is just because we just don't want to. There are other things, if we're candid, we'd rather do with our money. And those other things prevent us from obeying God's call to support missions. Now, you might be thinking at this point, look, that's kind of a low blow, Pastor Sean. You mean I'm supposed to tithe, and then above that I'm supposed to give even more money to support missions? Have you seen the economy? Are you kidding me? I know, I know. I can't tell you what to do. It's not my place, and I would not. But I can challenge you to ask yourself, when we make decisions financially, putting money in this investment, or maybe this investment, or this vacation account, or saving up for college, do we also consider, just as part of the deal, investing in God's kingdom? See, is missions in you? Is it, is it part of just your life? Is supporting God's kingdom part of your belief structure? If you're a Christian, it should be. See, the real question for us is the same question it was for Jonah. Do we submit to or flee from that call? Do we sense that there is a need in the world? You know, for those of you in relationships with non-Christians, and I know some Christians in the room, you you only know other Christians. You need to fix that. For those of you who do have non-Christian friends, Often, they are very open about how their life is not working, aren't they? Frankly, they're more candid about life not working than most Christians are because we feel like we have to play everything right and have this good facade because that makes baby Jesus happy. We don't want to make baby Jesus unhappy, so everything's good, right? But non-Christians are very quick to say, man, life is hard. It's not working. I don't know what to do. How often have we heard that and just ignored that cry for help? Because that's what Jonah does. Did you catch verse 5? How the mariners are so afraid, they're crying out to God, they're crying out to the supernatural for help. And Jonah doesn't do anything. And notice how whereas Jonah sacrificed wealth to avoid offering salvation to pagans, these sailors are sacrificing wealth for salvation. They're sailors, they're professional freight carriers. If you throw the freight overboard, you don't tend to get a commission on that freight, you know? And so they're sacrificing financially just for salvation. And there's a principle here I think we can apply from that. And the principle is this. Faith promise is not saying, well, I just can't afford that, so I'll just pray. And I have a peace about that, and so I think it's okay. Notice Jonah He was so peaceful in his decision to disobey and ignore God's call that he was sleeping like a baby in the midst of a storm that was so bad the professional sailors were freaking out. He had great peace. 
right in the midst of his rebellion. You see, our peace or lack thereof is not the measure of our obedience. Let me put it another way. Is it really okay that we're okay with not doing faith promise? I mean, is it okay that we have a good feeling about that, but not financially supporting missionaries? The point is, don't be deceived into disobedience by your emotions. The Great Commission still stands regardless of our feelings about it. And moving on, verse 6. I love how this pagan sea captain comes to Jonah. You can almost see it in your mind, kicking him. Like, dude, wake up and pray for us. We're going to drown. Do something. I mean, I love it. Here's Jonah, right? The, the, the Torah-thumping Israelite is roused into missionary activity by a pagan sea captain. He's reprimanded by an unbeliever for not caring about those around him. Do we care? Would we be open to this charge? Now, let's be clear. This captain was not asking for eternal life, okay? He just didn't want to die. But being on mission, having a missionary heart, means having a heart that notices other people's pain. It means being sensitive to people who are struggling all around you. Which gives us a second principle. So the first principle is, is not saying, well, I feel okay about ignoring faith promise, so it must be fine. I'll just pray. The second principle is this. Faith promise is not writing a check to help support the real missionaries way over there and never having any personal evangelism right here in our backyard. Dear flock, we are missionaries. God has put Trinity in Orangeburg as a base for the spreading of His reconciling love to Orangeburg. We're supposed to show the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to our neighbors. That's what we're called to do. And our neighbors, just like we were, or perhaps many of us still are, they're friend poor, they're time poor, they're living for their jobs, for the accumulation of things, they're in bondage to those pursuits, they don't know how to get out of it, and they need help. And we have the message of freedom from that sin and that bondage. We have the message of a foundational acceptance and security with God that they can have. Our neighbors are craving for that. Do we have that kind of hope? Or perhaps are we a little scared? Perhaps even bitter about the future? Perhaps we're a lot like Jonah was at the end of this book. You know, Jonah is, we, most of us, I think, we are experienced, exposed, I guess is the word I'm looking for, to Jonah from Sunday school, children's Sunday school. Most children's Sunday school treatments of Jonah stop at the end of chapter 3. Jonah goes to Nineveh, finally, he preaches, they repent, it's all good, and it ends. But there's actually a chapter 4. See, the Bible is a true book about real people. And Jonah, like all people, is not simplistic. Turns out his response to God's mercy to Nineveh is selfish bitterness. Look with me, at, uh, starting in chapter 3, verse 10, and then all of chapter 4. It's God's word. So Nineveh has repented. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. 
And he prayed to the Lord. And he said, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? I remember I took undergraduate Hebrew in college and I remember our second semester of Hebrew. Jonah is a short, very easy book to translate and so they had us translate the book of Jonah. And I remember... I was super captain Christian in my youth group. I, I read most of the Bible, I thought. I remember reading through and translating through Jonah, and I kept stopping and going, shut up. Is this in the Bible? My, I went to my English translations like, how come I've never heard of Jonah chapter 4? Who is this guy? I mean, how many of you knew this is Jonah? This is how the book ends. How many of you knew this, right? This is nuts, isn't it? I mean, do you notice the sick emotional responses he has? He has a tantrum because God's merciful. Jonah hated this city. Jonah was all about kill them all and let God sort them out. I mean, these people were the ISIS of their day. They were brutal. They were dictatorial. They were expansionist. They were terrorists. I mean, at least you've got to appreciate how Jonah was very candid in his hatred. God, I don't want you to be merciful to those, insert racial slur, Right? I mean, Jonah should scare us. Because what happens is when people take their nationalism and they project that onto God, we then assume certain groups of people are more worthy of God's grace and mercy than others. And we because we assume God shares our attitudes. And we can use it as a religious excuse for our own selfishness, which is exactly what jo- Jonah did. I mean, this text goes out of its way to show Jonah's selfishness. Did you notice how he's really wrapped up in this crazy plant vine thing? Notice in verse 1, he is exceedingly angry. He's ticked off that God didn't destroy Nineveh. But then in verse 6, he's exceedingly happy because of the plant. It's like, man, you need some meds or something. That's not right. So you're supposed to read this and like, what is wrong with this man? 
And here's what we miss in English that's very obvious in the Hebrew. In verse 6 there, that word for discomfort, that he is now under discomfort, is actually the same Hebrew word all the way back, chapter 1, verse 2, for how God described Nineveh, the word evil, discomfort. Nineveh was in discomfort, and so God wanted to send Jonah to give them mercy. And so what God diagnosed in Nineveh, he causes to Jonah to show Jonah his own heart. And then God calls him on it in verses 10 and 11. He basically says to him, Jonah, you didn't care about Nineveh, but you cared about the plant. You're so selfish. See, God goaded Jonah to the point of honesty where he would say out loud what was in his heart. Rage, murder, hatred, bitterness at God and Nineveh, apparently. You see, Jonah shows that his heart is just as defiled as he assumed the Ninevites were. His religious bigotry made him assume that he was okay with God because he was you know, an Israelite. They're not. And notice, this is all chapter 4 takes place after he preached, after an entire city repented. Jonah said it. He just didn't believe it. You, I mean, it's amazing. He preached without it being in him. Oh, dear flock, that should scare us. We can hear the gospel repeatedly and it not be in us. We can be okay with being bitter towards, you know, dirty people over there, different people. We can be okay with rejecting God's call to mission all the time, knowing the right stuff, even being in a relationship with God and still being disobedient. That should scare us. I think it makes us, it made me studying this, and may go back to the hard truth. The hard question is, we really don't believe a lot of this stuff. I mean, is God really so holy? Is He really so pure that He will punish sinners in hell? How primitive, how embarrassing, right? Don't talk about hell. See, and if we don't really believe that, we have no real motivation, do we? We all have people in our lives that we care about with whom we have not shared the hope of Christ. And we really don't believe in eternity and hell awaits them. We, we can't possibly. Because if we did, we wouldn't care so much about the awkwardness of evangelism. We wouldn't care so much how it changes the relationship to talk about deep spiritual things. We would talk to them of Christ because they're going to perish. But we care more about avoiding discomfort, about avoiding awkwardness, not so much their eternal destiny. And so we stay silent. We're not really that much different from Jonah, a plant and a worm, when you get right down to it. As Jonah must have, because if you believe Jonah was a real person, I do, and that this really happened, I do, you realize there's only one source for all of this, all this inner workings of Jonah's heart, all this conversation with God. You know there's only one source for all this, right? It's Jonah. As Jonah was eventually brought back to a point of repentance and just confessed this to the church for the rest of time, so too we need to recognize that we need to repent of some of our selfish attitudes before God. We need to recognize that missions is not merely about financial support for those over there, but it's about actively living out the gospel here before our neighbors. 
loving our community, even when we don't understand or perhaps even agree with what God is doing in our community, means loving our community. And so as we wrap this up, I want to land on verse 11 and kind of just let that seep into our heart. Look with me at that little phrase from verse 11. God says, and should I not, or should I not pity Nineveh? See, unlike Jonah, God did care about the lost and the hurting in Nineveh. And he cares about the lost and the hurting all over the world. And so in the fullness of time, he himself in the person of Jesus Christ left the comforts of heaven and came to enter our world. Jonah hated the Ninevites and he didn't want to proclaim good news to them. And they were a people who was very much a chance they would harm him and kill him. But since God so loved the world, Jesus came down to proclaim grace to a people who would absolutely harm him and whom he knew would kill him. Jesus came full of the compassion that Jonah lacked. And he didn't merely proclaim, but he came to die to redeem hurting, miserable sinners. See, that's why Jesus himself, when asked at one point, called himself one greater than Jonah. Jesus was the missionary that Jonah was supposed to be, sacrificing everything so that a people might be saved. See, and that's the gospel. That while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, actively holding up a fist of rebellion, Jesus Christ came and entered into our rebellion, forgave us of that rebellion, and by His blood offers us complete acceptance before God the Father. And we can have that. But unfortunately, you and I are more like Jonah than we like to admit. We struggle to love people who are different. We're so selfish. We work so hard for our own comfort that we are reluctant to sacrifice to take the good news to others. And so I challenge you. I do. I challenge you right now as your pastor. Ask the Lord to convict you about a faith promise. Ask the Lord to convict you right now about one person in your life that you should share the gospel with. And you know you should. You have just avoided it. Now, I don't want the pressure of this moment to cause you to do something you might be bitter about later. So, what I'm going to suggest is perhaps during this closing song that you might just sit in your seat. Not all of you, but some of you. Just sit in your seat. Prayerfully confess your selfishness, your fear, your lack of compassion for unbelievers. And ask the Lord to convict you about how you can help in missions across the globe through financial support or perhaps in your backyard through speaking of Christ. He'll answer that prayer. Let's pray together. Father God,